Hey, welcome to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Martin. Got another awesome guest here today, my friend, Buddy Bell. Hey, he was a judge at one time for 12 years. He was a circuit judge. He was a lawyer for 30 years. He's seen and done a lot of things over the years. going to help share and help us to learn today. Thank you for coming on, Judge. I appreciate that. I'm glad to be here, Joe. Hey, before we get started, you know, I got to give you a dad joke. You got to have one. That, that's why you started off. So why did the judge set the bail so low for the ostrich charged with assault? Man, I can't tell you. He wasn't a flight risk. <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate a good dad that, joke. That's a good one. That's a good one. So let's, uh, let's kind of talk about kind of where you came up and how you grew up. Well, Joe, I grew up in Florence, Alabama. Um, small, conservative, dry county. Great place to grow up. We lived on the lake. Uh, we uh, belonged to the Southern Baptist Church over there. My dad... Uh, and mother were real active in church. And it seemed like every time the doors opened, we were in there. Real conservative community. And uh, that's where I was raised. I had a very, I was a very sheltered uh, upbringing, but it was, it was a, a good one. My dad was kind of tough. Uh, he was a retired Navy chief, like an army sergeant. And so, you know, he was tough. And for the first 17 years of my life, heck, I thought I was in the Navy. But it didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt me that way anyway. So, yeah. So uh, you kind of talked about some of your life changes throughout your years. And uh, one of them was when you went to Auburn. So how did your life change once you got to Auburn? Well, I, I grew up in that sheltered lifestyle, dry county. Uh, and then I went away to Auburn and I joined a fraternity, not just any fraternity, but the wildest fraternity on campus. Uh, and we were, uh, in fact, our fraternity, the movie Animal House was patterned after us. Okay. Uh, and I was Otter, the pledge trainer. And, you know, I had, I had not drank. Uh, and so I went in there and I went through Rush. First thing they did is put a beer in my hand and, you know, and it's just, I mean, I was exposed to a whole new world of beautiful college girls, no parental supervision. And, and, you know, I just kind of strayed off course. I'd been a good student, National Honor Society, uh, and, and I almost bombed out. And my dad was going to take me out of Auburn and send me to, to uh, at that time, Florence State, which was a great school because we were from Florence. Um, but thank goodness uh, he let me go back to Auburn and I, my grades picked up and they were good enough to get me in uh, law school at Alabama. Okay. Yeah. So another life change kind of right before your dad passed. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Like I said, dad was a retired Navy chief, real, real tough, hard on me um, and my little brother. And, and he was an alcoholic and his daddy was an alcoholic and he was raised like this uh, at a time when men were basically taught, you don't say, I love you. You don't show emotions. You don't cry. Uh, and so he just, he never told my brother and I that uh, I love you. And uh, he was diagnosed with brain cancer and, and uh, in, in his hospital room at Huntsville Hospital, the night before surgery was the first time that he had ever told my little brother and I that he loved us. And he told us that that was the biggest mistake he'd ever made in his life. Uh, and for me, never uh, to, to miss a chance to tell somebody I love them uh, if I do. We told each other that night for the first time we loved each other. And 
Unfortunately, it turned out to be the last time because he never woke up from brain surgery and he was in the intensive care unit uh, at Huntsville Hospital and he never woke up and he died in intensive care the next morning, so. So how did, how did that affect your life from there forward? Well, it, it put me uh, on another tailspin throughout uh, my college days and my law school days. You know, I was basically a fraternity boy. I was living that party lifestyle and I was going wild. Um, and it, and it, just, uh, it, it just threw me into that tailspin where I was just, Joe, I was just kind of drifting through life. Um, and, and I really didn't have any direction to my life. And listen, I was a, I was a, a, a good lawyer. I was a successful lawyer. Uh, when dad died, I was 24 years old. Uh, and I had just become a lawyer. Uh, and, and in spite of my lifestyle, I had a successful practice. I made a lot of money. I belonged to the country club, had a big house, sports car, anything in the world. I wanted money in the bank, but something was just missing in my life. And, uh, and something happened later on that made me realize that that important, something I was missing was a relationship with God. Yeah. So let's touch on your law practice a little bit. So what kind of law did you practice? Well, I, I started out doing everything. I, I, I was real blessed to be hired by a really good, experienced lawyer. His name was Aubrey Lamons. He was probably the most honest, hardworking, charged fairly uh, lawyer that, that I've ever known. And, and that was the work ethic uh, the way he taught me to practice law, you return your phone calls before you go home. You don't leave the office till you return a client's phone call. Um, and so, and, and I'd leave the office sometimes, Joe, at 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and Aubrey'd still be down in his office working. Wow. And of course, I'd feel guilty as I could be, but you know, it's, uh, I, I, I'd gone as long as I could go. But uh, we were together for uh, 30 years. And uh, I tell you, I owe so much to him. If you know, if you have a good mentor like that, uh, somebody that, that, that can kind of guide you and teach you the right way to do things, it is just invaluable. So I started out doing everything. He didn't like to go to court, so he hired me to be the trial lawyer, but I also did real estate. And uh, then after about eight or nine years, I kind of lost my mind and I went into divorce practice. And I started getting more and more divorce cases and I became successful at it, uh, earned a reputation as a good divorce lawyer. And it just kind of, I mean, it just built from there. Sure. So you practiced law for 30 years. I'm sure you saw some crazy things. What are a couple of stories you, that might pop in your head over that, over your time practicing law? Well, I tell you, I made a lot of good friends. Um, you know, when you go through, especially a bad divorce case, uh, it, it, it's like going to war and I, and I don't mean that in a, in a violent sense, but you know, you, your clients come to see you and they're scared to death. They don't know what the outcome is going to be They're You know, they just, they can't get on with their lives. Uh, they're in the worst time in their life and they're worried about themselves, their children, what's going to happen. How am I going to live after it comes out of it? Uh, and, and when they come to see me, I said, listen, you've got to trust me. Um, if you don't trust me 100%, you really need to get another lawyer because this is going to be real hard. 
uh, for both of us. And if I have to fight you and then fight the other side, uh, I, it's a no-win situation for me. Uh, and, and I formed some amazing, amazing relationships. So pe people that are, that are good friends of mine right now. Uh, and when I went to the bench later, these people would still come by the courthouse and they say, is, is Billy in? Is Judge Bell in? And my judicial assistant would say he is. And, and, and we'd stand and talk and hug. And, and Diane would tell me when they'd leave, says, you really had a lot of great clients, didn't you? I said, I did, Diane. I said, we went through the hardest time of their life together. And that forges a bond of friendship and respect and, and love uh, that, that, that is just hard to describe. Yeah, well, I'm sure it take an emotional toll on you as well, just bearing that burden with them. It, it did. You worry about your clients. And, and when you're a lawyer, you represent one side and you're focused on getting a fair result. Uh, for your client. And, and unfortunately, in divorce cases, the parameters of what will happen is about that wide. You can't tell a client exactly what's going to happen because a lot of it depends on what judge you drew. Uh, we had one judge at the courthouse that would not give custody of a child to the father, regardless of what the mother had done. We had one judge who would not award alimony, even in a long-term marriage to a spouse that didn't work. Uh, we had one judge that would divide the assets based upon who worked and who didn't. So if you were a stay-at-home mom and housewife, you came out on the short end of the stick, even though you had subordinated your life and career and education to that of your husband. Uh, and it, and it, they got punished for it in court. And, uh, I just saw a lot of things that uh, bothered me. And, you know, they're real emotional cases, Joe. And most of the judges didn't like to try divorce cases. And when we go for a trial, they would pull the lawyers into chambers before we'd start the trial and basically have a mini trial in their chambers and tell us what they were gonna do in the case. And then say, go out and tell your client and y'all get it settled. And wow. uh, that was hard to explain to a client how a judge hadn't heard the evidence and had made, already made a, a quasi decision. And uh, a lot of times I say, listen, let's try it. Let's just present the evidence and maybe we'll do, maybe he'll do, or he or she will do something different. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I can't imagine. That's, that's tough to go through for both of y'all. So you kind of touched on it earlier. So what was, what was kind of that life event that kind of changed things around for you? Well, uh, my oldest grandson, only grandson at the time, Tucker, was just an infant, and he had developed uh, a condition on his brain where he had fluid building up and pressure uh, in his head because of it, and he had to have emergency surgery to put a, a shunt in his brain to kind of drain the liquid off, and, and I'll, I'll never forget going to the pediatric ICU at Huntsville Hospital and walking in to that room and it was dimly lit. He was laying in a, in a crib and he was lifeless. Uh, his head was swollen um, and uh, you know, he, and I was, I was scared. I, I didn't know what in the world to do. And there I was, I mean, I made a lot of money. I was a successful lawyer. All the influence that, that I thought I had in the community 
did didn't make a whole lot didn't make any difference at all in what was fixing to happen so i kind of drew back on my old uh, baptist church upbringing and so i just bowed my head and prayed right there beside his crib and i said lord i said please save tucker's life take mine instead um tucker came out of it perfectly healthy played soccer at, and cross country at, at Huntsville High School, works at that same Huntsville Hospital right now. And, and uh, Joe, I've tried every day since then to keep the promise that I made to God that day. And uh, I fall short a lot, like we all do. He made us, he knows we can't be perfect, but uh, that, that day changed my life. And I give Tucker uh, the credit for that. Wow. And, but, and God. That's amazing. Yeah, that's really it cool. It was amazing. It was absolutely, I mean, I, I walked that out of there and the day I, I turned everything over to God in my life and trusted him with everything, my life changed in a truly wonderful way. Amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. We talked about you practicing law and then you became a judge. So what was the process from going from practicing law to a circuit judge? How, what does that look like? Well, it, it's strange. It's a purely political process. Uh, and I had never been a politician. I had helped folks run for office, but I'd never been a Republican or a Democrat. But judges in Alabama run for six-year terms, and you have to run by party label. Uh, and at that time, Madison County was like 55, 60% Democrat. The rest was Republican. So if you wanted to win, you had to run as a Democrat. And I had a lot of people helping me from both parties. And so uh, I qualified as a Democrat uh, and, and, and I, would, uh, I would go around campaigning. Uh, I'll never forget going to Miss Yenis's for breakfast. Uh, she wouldn't let me sit down until I poured coffee all around the restaurant. And I'd have a cup, a pot of regular in one hand and decaf in the other. And I'd go around and introduce myself. And then she'd let me sit down and eat breakfast. And then on Monday mornings, I'd go to Mullins. And uh, Larry Mullins had the restaurant there, and uh, and he was a good friend of mine. And uh, I'd go around and introduce myself. And you know, the unfortunate part about it, then the whole reason I ran for for circuit judge Joe was to start a family court mm -hmm. where a judge could specialize in cases that affect families and children. Which, to me, that's the most important cases that come in our courthouse. Absolutely, and, yeah. and that just wasn't the mindset. Uh, and, and rightfully so, they're terrible. They're terribly hard emotional cases, but I wanted to do that. And of course the other circuit judges in Madison County were thrilled that I wanted to do that uh, because they knew they couldn't find anybody stupid enough to want to do family court work, but me, because that's what I did as a lawyer. But I would go around and introduce myself and say, I'm Billy Bell, I'm running circuit judge, I want to start a family court. And they'd say, what party are you running on, son? And I'd say, does it matter? I mean, is, is, your, is your child or your grandchild, are they Democrat or Republican? I'm running to change the way these cases are handled in Madison County. And every once in a while, I would uh, try to shake somebody's hand. And I had one fellow, uh, he would say, I wouldn't vote for you if you were the only dadgum candidate. And I said, why? He said, because you represented my ex-wife, you SOB. And I said, well, thank you for your time. And I said, you know, before I left, I said, does she still live here? So at least I get her vote to exit. There you go. 
<laughs> but you know, that's just the way it was. And, and, and I understood that it's a terribly adverse situation to be in a divorce like that. And, you, and, and most folks, when they go through a contested divorce case, come out with wounds that, that will never heal. There are no winners in divorces. So. Yeah. So over the time as, as a judge, what is kind of some, some happy stories? You had to have some happy endings in there. So, uh, cause that's why you got into that to help some people. What are some stories over the years that you went through? I have, uh, I've met people since then and you gotta be careful because after I retired, if somebody walks up to you and says, are you judge bell? You say, well, I don't know. It depends. Who's asking? Yeah, <laughs> I, who's said, asking? I, I used to be. In fact, I was at a basketball game, rec ball, watching my small group boys play. And a fella came up to me and said, you judge Bell? And I was standing with some of the friends of mine and one of the dads kind of watched. He, he said, and he, I said, I am. He said, can I introduce you to somebody? I said, well, sure. And we walked over to the bleachers. He said, I want you to meet my son. You gave me custody of him 10 years ago. And he said that changed his life and it changed mine too. And I just want to thank you. Wow. I saw a lot of substance abuse too, Joe. And, you know, I, um, I would try to, to get the parent who was having substance abuse problems help. Um, I was successful in some situations and we lost to others. Parents that were just addicted to drugs so badly that, uh, they just, they couldn't, couldn't come to grips with it. But I, I've had people come back in my court and say, judge, thank you for making me get help. You saved my life. And I said, no, it wasn't me that saved your life. It was your love for your child and God it wasn't me at all, son, but thank you for telling me that. But, uh, you know, you, you see the uh, best in people and you see the worst in people. I used to, uh, whenever I try cases every day, divorce cases, and whenever they had jury trials in the courthouse, the jurors would love to come sit in my courtroom and watch divorce trials while they were waiting to get called to a jury trial. And, and uh, one day uh, during a break, I'd sit and talk to the jurors and explain to them what was going on in the case. And, one of the jurors raised his hand and said, judge, uh, can I, can I tell you something? And I said, well, sure. He said, your job really sucks. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it does. And, but somebody has got to do it because these are an important case. He said, how in the world can you be so happy all the time? I said, because seeing what I do in this courtroom makes me realize how truly blessed I am with what I've got. Right. And that, and that's what it was. We met a lot of great people. Um, and I've, I've seen kids that have grown up now that their parents were in my court and, uh, really it's just, uh, you know, there, there's rewards and there's heartaches. I, you know, it was so emotionally taxing. I, when I was a lawyer, I just represent one party. Um, but when I was a judge, I had to listen to the evidence from both sides and make a decision under the law that I thought was in the best interest of the parties and their children, um, that creates a lot more pressure. Um, trying to do the, the, the right thing, especially uh, for the children. And there was so much animosity in my courtroom. And I, you know, and I saw good people going through the worst time of their life. And, 
and they'd walk into a courtroom and you just never would think they were married to each other. Uh, I used to do a lot of weddings. And so what I would do, I didn't charge for weddings. I just got a picture of me with a bride and groom and I put them on the wall of my courtroom. I had, them, I mean, I had them, a whole wall covered hoping that when they walked into my courtroom for a divorce trial, they'd see those pictures and think, that was us at one time. Right. We stood at that altar and we said, I love you and I, and I, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. Uh, it didn't seem to help. I mean, help me, but uh, yeah. it, it didn't seem to help them at all. And I, I've had, I've had uh, folks going through divorces and at the end of the trial, I said, you know, I don't believe y'all were ever married to each other. Y'all got such a different perspective of what's going on. I had a couple coming into my courtroom for a divorce. They had been married longer than I had been alive. And I was 63 years old at the time. Goodness. And I told the lawyers, I said, you know, guys, y'all can report me to the chief justice if you want to. I'm not going to sign a divorce for people that have been married longer than I've been alive. So I talked them into getting a legal separation where they're still married, but they could live separate and apart, which is, and, and it ends up, it was the grown children fighting over the only thing these poor folks had, which was a house. And one child was scared. The other child was going to get it. Uh, and I said, and I called the kids up. I said, y'all ought to be ashamed of yourself. Look what you're doing to your parents. They don't even know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, the longest marriage I had to dissolve after a trial was 42 years. Wow. And a, and a gentleman uh, uh, and, his, and his wife of 42 years came into my court for the divorce. They had two grown children and they were sitting over on their mama's side. And you can always tell the dynamic, family dynamics by which side they sit on, like it, you know, it's gonna make a difference to me. But it, the facts of the case ended up that he had gone back to where he grew up, I think it was in Ohio, for a, a high school reunion and he didn't, his wife didn't go with him. Major mistake. He ran into an old girlfriend yeah. from high school and she had a house on a lake and he fell in love with her again. And he came back and told his wife of 42 years that I'm not gonna be happy unless I, I moved back to Ohio and lived with her. And, and uh, the lawyer asked me, said, well, was, was she a good wife? She was a great wife. She a good mother? Super mother. Housekeeper? Yeah. All the way down the line, he said, I'm just not going to be happy living the rest of my life unless I'm back up there living with my old girlfriend. And I mean, that poor lady sat there and just had to listen to that after 42 years of being married and just cried. I, uh, I saw so much emotions. I thought I was tough as nails because I was a pretty hard nosed divorce lawyer and I had done it for 30 years. And, but after three years on the bench, Joe, of hearing that every single day, uh, I had to start taking uh, antidepressants because it, it beat me up that much. How couldn't it? If you got any kind of heart, how couldn't it? That's what, that's what it did. And uh, I, I served one six-year term and nobody ran against me for the second term, not because I was doing a good job, it's because nobody else wanted my job. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, 
I told the other judges, I said, I'm not running for a third term. And so after about eight years on the bench, the other judges figured they weren't going to find anybody else dumb enough to want to do family court work. So we started doing everything. And so I did capital murder, car wrecks, medical malpractice, every type of case that there was, including divorce. And the other judges did too. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, civil and criminal cases are a lot easier than doing domestic relations cases. The emotions just aren't to the same degree. Yeah, that's interesting. You don't think about that, but you know, it is. I, I can see it though. Yeah, but I wouldn't be retired now. Uh, if, if I hadn't gone to the bench, I'd still be trying divorce cases, uh, as a lawyer, but, uh, uh, it's been a, it's been worthwhile. And, um, I, I love retirement. When I walked out of that courthouse with my judicial assistant, Diane Mooney, who had been there forever, uh, when we walked out, it's like the weight of the world lifted off our shoulders. I can imagine. Yeah. So you mentioned you're retired. So what are you up to now? What do you do with your days now? Well, I retired in January of 2015. Uh, and after that, uh, what I started doing, we started a boys small group at church as they were seventh graders. Our church uh, kind of made a push to start small groups for boys and for girls in every grade, middle school through high school. And so we started with eight seventh grade boys uh, we called ourselves the wise guys in a biblical sense. Uh, and and uh, we've stayed together and they're graduating seniors now. Um, there's 20, 26 of them now. Goodness. And every Thursday morning before school, they come to our house. Monica makes their breakfast for them. And after they eat breakfast, they'll come into the den and we'll have uh, uh, prayer concerns. We'll have opening prayer. I give them one of my prayer crosses that uh, uh, to give to somebody that they that they meet during the week that just needs to know that God loves them, that they're not alone ever. Uh, and then they would come back the next week and tell us who they gave their cross to and what you know what the story was. And uh, and then we do a devotional. I let the boys teach some devotional. We went through the books of the Bible and they'd have to research the book and talk about the history of it, who the main characters were, what their favorite verses in it was. And uh, it's, uh, it's just been such a, a blessing to Monica and I and, and our, my co-leader, Chad Steed. Uh, and so uh, we just had our last uh, Thursday morning meeting last week. Uh, we have a dinner, farewell dinner on Thursday night. There's going to be a lot of tears shed. I can imagine. Uh, that night. And one, and one thing I also did, my heart has always been for, for kids and animals. And so I, uh, I went, I started working. I, we lost our Boston Terriers uh, in 2015 within six months of each other. And we grieved so much, Monica would not let, let me get another dog. So what I did is I went to volunteer at an animal rescue agency here in town, New Leash on Life to get my dog fixed. And so I'd work with the dogs um, and that was a blessing. And, and then the pandemic kind of shut everything down. And, uh, but that, that's been my life. I don't know when I had time to work, to be honest with you. Yeah, I see that I, with a lot of people that uh, they, they work now more than they did when they had a job. Oh, absolutely. But, but what a blessing, you do what you want to do. And the hardest thing about retirement is learning how to say no 
And yeah. so, uh, but the great thing about it is a retiree's week is six Saturdays on a Sunday. Yeah. And so that's, that's my life. And I, and I'm blessed. I am truly blessed. So over the years, you've, you've worked with a lot of people, especially young people. What, what's some advice you could give a young person? Maybe he's going through a hard time right now. Uh, that, that there's always hope uh, that you're never alone, that God loves you. There's nothing you can go through. There's nothing you can do that would cause God not to love you. Uh, you can't be too lost. You know, I was so lost in the wilderness of sin uh, that the good shepherd can left the 99 sheep came, found me. And if he could, if he could save me and bring me out of the wilderness, man, there's nothing you could do. And it's never too late and you're never too lost uh, to come back to the Lord. And, and when you do, it's just a, it's an amazing blessing. It changes your life and we got to pass it on it. You know, it's uh, we've got to get to our children uh, at the very latest in middle school. I taught Sunday school, started at middle school, then, then I got promoted, I guess, up to high school. And, uh, but that was a blessing too, just such great kids. Uh, and, and, you know, when you, when you can reach them for the Lord, you just plant a seed and, and it's going to grow. Uh, and and you, if you take him with you everywhere you go, and before you do or say anything, think, what would Jesus want me to do right now? And, uh, you know, I talked about the prayer crosses and I gave my Sunday school students and the wise guys a prayer cross. And uh, Monica and I, after a, uh, a soccer game, um, went to get something to eat at uh, Great Panda. And I walked out and there was a homeless guy sitting on the sidewalk right next to Great Panda. And so I went over to him and I said, I talked to him, told him my name, asked me his name. I gave him a prayer cross and I gave him a little money to get something to eat and uh, told him I'd be praying for him. And then the next morning meeting of the wise guys, one of my boys, uh, we said, does anybody have any cross stories? He said, I do, Pops. Uh, and he said that uh, he went, stopped by in Great Panda to get something to eat the other night. And when he came out, there was this homeless guy sitting on the sidewalk. And he said, I, I didn't have any money, but I walked over to him and I talked to him a little bit, told him I'd be praying for him. And I gave him a prayer cross. And he said, and you know, the funniest thing, the guy looked up at me and says, yeah, some old man gave me one of these the other day. <laughs> and so hey, it's all right. Double up. It's okay. Yeah. That's a double the blessings, man. That's great. Yeah, no, it was. It really was. Well, there's no really easy transition for this, but I got some sponsors, Judge. You want to run through them with me real quick? Got some what? Got some sponsors we can go through real quick. Well, oh, and then we'll wrap good. this thing up. So sure. uh, I know you're 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 like me. You're a big fashion guy, right? You're known for your fashion. Uh, yeah, you can you can tell that. As long Both as it's got us. a pot belly on it, I'm all right. That's it. Yeah, I, I like your style. So I've seen you. The, way you <laughs> the kids call it your drip. I think. I think that's what they call that, it. They do. That's what they call it. I'd never heard that before, and I didn't know if that was a good thing or not. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not sure, and I got a teenager, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> but, but hey, this is my drip. This is this hope dealer right here. Is what it says. I so like that. I do so, like that. So you need to get that from uh, Apparel Lab. So they're one of our sponsors on here. They're a local t-shirt company. They do mugs and stickers and t-shirts and everything. Great company, great people over there. So you can go to the Apparel Lab at Gmail. You can email them. Relentless, use promo code RELENTLESS. You can get 10% off. And there if you, you want, 
if you want Judge Bell's face on a T-shirt like most of us do, they'll make that for you. They can make that. <laughs> yeah, that, that would scare people. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be great. So that, that'd be I love, right I love that shirt. And, and you know, just that says a whole lot about yeah, like you it. and about the life that you live. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to be like you a little bit every day. Yeah, uh, and another another friend of mine who's a sponsor his name's Dominic Garver if we played football back in the day um he will refinance your house so he he loves working with veterans so he worked with a veteran the other day able to take twenty thousand dollars in cash and put it into home improvements and also lower his monthly payment all together right there so you can give him a call at 256-714-1429 or his website is rocketcitymortgageguy.com and if you need a guy to get you some uh some short yardage he's your guy for that too play fullback back in the day. all right good good friend of mine great dude uh judge bell thank you so much for coming on and, and everything you're doing with your career and in retirement i really appreciate that joe thank you and i've kept up with you too and your son and you know we've both got children at grissom high school good athletes i've got a granddaughter you've got your boy and what a thrill it is just to just, you know, we're living our lives vicariously through them. Yes, sir. That's but it. That's good it. Kids. Your son's a good young man and, and, and you got to be proud of him. And yes, I know sir. your dad is. I see your dad at all. Yeah. And we love keeping up with the great Ava. She's, she's yeah, a great I, athlete and a great a kid as well. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We'll keep up with each other. Joe, appreciate it. I hope we do. I'll be seeing you around. I will right, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you could do me a huge favor, if you could review, rate, share, all that good stuff about the podcast, help word, get the positivity out there, that would be great. Also, if you could check out my new book, Relentless Positivity on Amazon, that would be awesome too. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you.